I appreciate you being with us uh, this morning as we continue in this series on what called Greater. It's focused on the book of Colossians. Colossians is what's called the most Christocentric book in the Bible. It's the one that is centered most heavily on the person of Christ, on, on who he is and what God did uh, through him. Uh, and so we, we've titled, I've titled this series Greater because it's about the fact that Christ is greater than all things. Um, it's broken up into, in, into two sections. It's four, it's four chapters long, broken up into two sections. The first section is chapters 1 and 2, and it's all about what God has done through Christ for on our behalf. And that He's greater than all, the, he's greater than all creation, and all things were created through Him and by Him, and for Him, He's greater. The second half of the, of the book, chapters 3 and 4, are all about how we respond, how we live in response to what God has done through Christ. And because Christ is greater and what God did through him for us, it, 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 it commands some type of response from people who say they follow him. That's chapters 3 and 4. And so we've, we, we started chapter 3 last week. And looking at because of what God has done through Christ, and because Christ is greater than all things, those of us who choose to follow him have certain responsibilities now in response to that. We looked last week at the first part of chapter 3. We're going to wrap up chapter 3. Uh, sorry, we looked at, at the last part of chapter 3 last week, and we're going to look at the first part of chapter 4 today. And then we'll wrap it up next week. Chapter 3 ended with this verse about slaves and masters. And one of the reasons it's hard for us to understand and put it in, in, in translate into our world is because when we in America in this day and age read the word slave in the Bible, the only context we have to understand that is in the context of American slavery. And that's not the context that Paul was talking about. When he uses the word slave, there, especially in that context, it was more along the lines of a bondservant. We talked about that last week. The idea of a bondservant is that if, if I am having trouble caring for myself and my family, and I can work for someone and give my life in service of a great, kind, loving, benevolent master, then I will commit myself for the rest of my life to work for him. Because I know that he can take better, he can take better care of me than I can take care of myself. I know my family's better off as a bond servant. In other words, translated slave. And so in, in the last part of chapter three, Paul says, you slaves work for your masters as though you're working for the Lord. What he's saying in our context, the best way we can understand that is you employees work for your employers as though you're working for Christ. That's what he's saying. So, so, so we ended last week with kind of this charge that, that whatever we do, if you need, we got a cry room, just so you know. Uh, work for your employers as though you're working for the Lord. Like, do your best. That's how we ended chapter 3. Chapter 4 begins, and he kind of flips the tables. And he opens with this word, to masters... And how they treat their slaves. Again, not slavery. In our context, bosses and employees. And he says this. 
Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair because you know that you have a master in heaven. He says, listen, if you have authority over someone, all those people for whom you have authority over, you do what's right and you do what's fair. You don't take advantage of those who are under you. They don't exist for your benefit is what he's saying. You exist for their benefit. You as an employer exist for the benefit of your employees and they benefit when you treat them fairly and do what's right on their behalf. Do you understand? Go ahead, take this verse to work tomorrow and you tell your boss, hey, my pastor said. In other words, don't take advantage of those under you. Why? Because you have a master over you in heaven. See, what, what Paul was saying in the last part of chapter 3, first part of chapter 4 is this. How we respect those and honor those over us is important. And how we treat those under us is important. And it's crucial. Let me just say this. I'm going to just take a side note. This is... It's just so important for us to learn. And the earlier we can teach this to kids, the better. For many reasons that I won't go into, it's real difficult for young ones to respect those over them. It, it, it seems as though young ones have found it very difficult to respect and honor authority over them, whether it's their teachers whether it's the police, whether it's their parents, whether it's their pastors. I tell my football players all the time, an uncoachable kid becomes an unemployable adult real fast. And you've got to learn to respect and honor your coaches and the refs as wrong as referees are. <laughs> and you've got to learn to honor and value those under you for whom you think you're better than. So parents, let me just tell you this. You got little ones, you make sure that they get it. They honor, respect, and submit to the authority over them. If you want to put in, 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 in athletic terms, an uncoachable kid becomes an unemployable adult. And you make sure that they have a heart of kindness and gentleness and humility to those they think they're better than. This was Paul saying. Now, and then he gets into this, this, this section of verses 2, 3, 4, 5, 6. And again, th th this section of Colossians is highly instructive. And, and, and it's really focused on those people who claim to follow Jesus. And basically Paul's saying, look, if you claim to follow Jesus, then you've understood, because we've talked about it, what God has done for you through Christ. And in response to that, you're required now to respond in certain ways. Here's how he says we are to respond. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us, too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ, for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. He starts this section and says, because you understand 
what God has done for you in Christ, because Christ is greater, you understood that, because you've chosen to follow him, here's how you now respond. And the first thing he says is to devote yourself. Devote yourself in prayer. It means to continue in prayer, to be constant in prayer. Other places he'll say, pray always on all, in all occasions. See, what we have to understand is this. Prayer that moves the hand, that moves the world, isn't moved by a single, simple, tired prayer. Prayer that moves the hand, that moves the world. That hand is not moved by a simple, single, tired prayer. The root of this word to devote yourself, Paul says, to give great effort to, to steadily and continually apply pressure to, is what he's saying. So when he says devote yourself to prayer, he's saying in, it's in prayer that you put pressure on the hand of God to move in this world. And as you put pressure on the hand of God, do that with great effort, do it steadily, do it continually applying pressure to the hand of God in prayer. That's what he's saying. So what Paul understands that we've kind of forgotten is this, that prayer is work and prayer is labor. I, I love the fact that we have a prayer team at this church that, that continually prayers for, uh, prays for the prayers that come in. I, I love that fact. I'm bothered by the fact that some people feel it enough to have a prayer concern and write it on a card and us, uh, ask other people to do their work for them. Spiritually, it feels a little bit to me, if I were to translate it in the real world, as those who say, I know I can work, but I have a need. I'd rather you just help me out. If you're a Christ follower, Paul says, no, 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 no. You devote your, you do the work. You do the labor. Steadily applying pressure on the hand of God that can move the world. This is how we respond to the one who is greater. If we have a relationship with him. See, prayer is the greater work that is the precursor to the greater work. Do you understand that? Prayer is the greater work that sets in motion the greater work. And Paul says, devote yourself, press in, do this laborious work. And he says, in your prayer, be watchful. It means keep an attentive eye to what God is. Don't fall asleep on God. Because the fact is that sometimes God does stuff in an earthquake. And sometimes God does stuff in a fire. But sometimes God does stuff in a whisper. And if we're not watchful, we'll miss the whisper. So in your prayer, press in and apply pressure constantly to the hand of God and then watch. But that word watchful also means wakeful. And Paul's saying, don't fall asleep. Don't fall asleep. Now, I don't know about any of y'all, but I started going to church about six months before I was born. Like every time the doors were open, we were there. And this was back in the old school days when they had Sunday morning church and then Sunday morning 
Sunday school. And then they had Sunday night church. And then they had Wednesday night program and you'd go Wednesday night and you'd have choir practice and then you'd have a, a, a big potluck in the, in the fellowship hall and all the ladies would bring all their leftovers that their own kids didn't want to eat and they would set out for everybody and the old pastor would sing the doxology and then you'd have a little common meal together and then you'd go off to Bible study. Oh, what great days. And so I like we were there all the time. And I grew up with this idea, we got to pray all the time, which is clearly biblical. But, but here's what I would do. I, I would be, you know, have you ever laid down at night and decided you're going to like pray and all of a sudden you wake up? <laughs> yeah, and I kind of wore that as a badge of honor. Like, man, I fall asleep praying. And Paul's like, you're an idiot. Like, be watchful, be wakeful. Don't fall asleep in prayer. You're talking to the greater one. Why would you fall asleep? He's also saying, don't have a sleepy prayer life. Like, this stuff demands some energy. And put this energy together with thanksgiving. And watch for what God, like you're, you're pressing the hand that moves. The, like, well, how could you get sleepy in this, Paul's saying? And I want to help you out with your prayer stuff. I put I, I preached about this a long time ago. I put it on the on the app for you this week. My little biblical prayer list. I took what's known as the Lord's Prayer. Uh, you know, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Forgive our debts. We offer again our debtors. There's not a temptation. There's some evil one. Lines of kingdom, power, and glory. You know that one. So I've I've, I've divided that up into those sections and put biblical references on how to pray that back to God for you. If you need some help in your prayer life, let me help you. It's on our app. Go there. Every day, I start my day making sure that that I'm engaging with the greater one. I want to give you that resource and help you on that. And so Paul says, like, give yourself to this prayer thing, man. This is so crucial. And then he says, as long as y'all praying, pray for me. <laughs> He's like, and pray for us too. That God may open a door for our message. So we proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I'm in change. So as long as you're praying, pray for me. What does he ask them to pray for him for? Okay, now I know y'all are literate here. It's right there on the screen. He says, pray for us too. For what? An open door. Pray for an open door. Now pay attention. Where was Paul when he wrote this? He's in prison. Does it make sense why he'd ask to pray for an open door? <laughs> but, 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 but he wasn't asking for an open door to leave. He is asking for an open door to share Christ. Now here's the deal. Some of y'all been locked up. You know what this is like. When we're locked up, you, you, you ask people to pray for an open door so you can get out. <laughs> right? Well, he's locked up. But the open door he wanted them to pray for is an open door to witness about Jesus. He said, pray for an open door that I may proclaim the mystery of Christ while I'm locked up. He didn't pray, God, get me out. Though I'm sure he wanted out. He didn't pray for God, change the system. 
to give me back my liberty and freedom, though I'm sure he wanted his liberty and freedom as a Roman citizen. What he prayed for was an open door for the proclamation of his faith. Think about this. We've come out of two years of imprisonment where they tried to shut down our businesses, close our schools, and try to shut the doors of our church. Where they took away our liberties, they robbed us of our freedoms. And what was our prayer? God, end this. God, support us. God, give us back our liberties. Give us back our freedoms. Give us someone else in charge who will set things right. Let me suggest this. There's a reason Paul's in the Bible and we're not. I think Paul's prayers would have been different than ours. Paul's prayers would have been, pray for more opportunity. See, we talk a lot about our huddle here at this church. Those 8 to 15 people that we have influence with in our lives. And some of those 8 to 15 are other Christ followers who, are, who strengthen and encourage. And, and some of those 8 to 15 are people who are far from God. Whom God has put in our 8 to 15 huddle so that we can have influence with and share our faith and our hope and our journey with them about Jesus. And I want to encourage you as you go about your life, if you're a Christ follower, to look for two groups of people. People under tension and people in transition. And if any of you have ever broken into a car, please go out there and unhook that battery for me. Someone's parked out there. We're going to see who. Okay, there you go. Thank you. Look for people under tension and people in transition. Here's what I know. Everybody gets under tension and in transition at some point in life, right? Well, guess what COVID was? Everybody was under tension. Everybody was in transition, and most Christ followers, not in this church because we're perfect, but most Christ followers were more concerned about the freedoms we were losing rather than the faith we could have been sharing. Amen. See, sometimes we get it so twisted and bass backwards. You know why our church is named Flipside, right? Because we've got to do things the opposite way. Paul's prayer would have been, God, thank you for the open door that you continue to give me over a two-year period because everybody's under tension and transition. This is awesome as far as my opportunity to share faith. You okay? Yes. Can I keep going? Yes. Look at verse 4. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. That was his prayer. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly, like I should. See, there, there's two parts to the Christian life. And if you're a Christ follower, I want you to understand this. There's two parts to the Christian life. Part of the Christian life is private. That's prayer. But another part of the Christian life is public, and that's proclamation. 
You, you, you know what makes Oreo such a good cookie? Is it the cookie or is it the frosting or the little? Which one? They're both good, right? I mean, you say take some of the cookie part and crumble it up over some French vanilla ice cream. That's good stuff. But you take two double stuff Oreos and you take two of the tops off and put it together. You got a quadruple stuff. All that inside stuff. I had a dessert the other day and they had they had Oreo frosting, not the cookie. The inside part. <laughs> Both of them are good. But when you put them together, wow, that's magic. See, both these things are good. Prayer, good. Proclamation, good. But you put them together? This is what Paul's saying. See, Christ followers, get this now. Christ followers, are, their witness is to be public and vocal. When Paul says, pray for an open door, that I may proclaim, that means literally speak. The response of the Christ follower, because of who Christ is as the greater one, and what God has done for us through him, our response to that is to speak our faith clearly. I guarantee most of you are thinking, huh, that would be great, don't know what to say. Let me tell you this, you don't have to have all the answers, you just have to have your story. We're never told in the Bible to have the answers. We're told in the Bible to be able to give a reason for the hope that I have. That's not answers, that's my story. You just have to have the reason for your hope. You just have to have what your story is. You just have to have your faith. Here's why. Here's why you don't have to have arguments. Because anybody can argue with your arguments. You ever gotten an argument with somebody? You don't ever argue about what their stories. You argue about their arguments. Anybody can reject your opinion. One of the... <laughs> opinions. One of the quickest ways to shut off my ears and shut off my attention to you is to start telling me about your opinion. I don't, I don't care about your opinion. I just don't care about many people's opinion. It's your opinion. It's not fact. It's your opinion. And just because you have an opinion doesn't mean you have the right to tell me your opinion. It doesn't mean that I have the responsibility to listen to your opinion. It's just an opinion. I have opinions too. You don't know most of my opinions. It's just opinion. So, so, so part of speaking clear is not sharing your opinion with anybody. It's sharing your story because nobody can argue with your story. You can always argue with your opinion. No one can argue with your story. No one can argue with the reason for the hope that you have. And no one can deny your faith journey. Some of you have such a story. That, <laughs> there's been such a change in your life. Who can argue with it? So you know, I used to bite off a guy's ear, and now I'm, now I'm nice to people. And now, like, nobody can argue with that story. And he says, I pray that I can speak that clearly. He said, be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. When he says this, I told you it's going to be highly instructive in this, in this, this part of, of Colossians 4. Be wise in the way you act 
towards out towards your huddle is what he's saying. That word act means literally be wise the way you make your way among them. Like there are 8 to 15 people with whom we are making our way through this world together. So be very wise about how you make your way among them in this world, that 8 to 15 people. See, God is very concerned about our private life. But God is also very concerned with our interactions with the world in real time. He says, as you make your way among people, those 8 to 15, make the most of every opportunity. He said, don't be blind to the opportunities that God is orchestrating for you to share your hope and your story. Don't neglect conversations that God has orchestrated for you to draw people to the awareness of God in his hand. Don't miss the moments to interject Christ. Into all. This is what Paul's saying for those who follow Christ. Make the most of those opportunities. Listen, those opportunities will not be random because the word opportunity means literally ordained time and season. So here's what's going on. Let me paint the full picture for you. If you are a Christ follower, there are 8 to 15 people around your life that God is supernaturally orchestrating times and seasons for you to have conversations and speak the reason for the hope that you have and your own faith journey. Here's the other side of that. If you haven't yet crossed the line of faith, as we say, God has also orchestrated your huddle, 8 to 15 people, and put someone in there who is a Christ follower, who God is orchestrating times and seasons and ordaining them for you to hear from them because God's pursuing you. So Christ follower, be mindful and watch for those ordained times and seasons to speak and take advantage of those opportunities to speak your faith. Paul says when those opportunities pop up because you're watchful for them and you're awake, Take advantage of it. Like jump into it. Don't let them go by and think on the backside. Ha ha. I wish I would have. Be mindful and attentive to the orchestration of the opportunities by God is what Paul's saying. Tune yourself to think. Who's under tension? Who's in transition? How can I work this to a conversation about the hope I have in Christ? So much so that you don't walk away from a conversation. With you. Oh, I wish I would have thought of that. Now, I guarantee you, talk about speaking your faith. The conversation always turns to, well, what do I say? Like, I would love to do this. I don't know what to say, though. Have you ever felt that way? None of you? None of you want to talk about your faith or wonder what to say? I was just talking to someone this morning uh, before first service, and they said, Pastor, I need to talk to you. I like this thing. And I sound confident. And like, what do I say? I mean, this just happened this morning. So let me tell you, Paul addresses this. He just doesn't leave us hanging. You want to know what to say? In every situation, every circumstance? Yes, Jesus. <laughs> Just say Jesus. Well, it's furry. It lives in a tree, collects nuts, and has a big tail. What is it? Jesus. <laughs> Let your conversation be always full of grace. There it is. 
seasoned with salt so that you may know how to answer everyone. Listen, some of you have had such a change in life. You're in a, your literal family is watching and they've seen the change. And Paul says, I want you to press into that change and actually speak about it. And here's how you speak to each other. Always full of grace. Paul says, let your speech be full of grace, not complaints and not arguments. Bono said this, grace finds beauty in ugly things. And it does. And grace gives favor to broken things. Let your speech be full of grace. And let that speech that's full of grace, let that be seasoned. That word seasoned means arranged. It means thoughtful. It means purposeful. Do any of you, do any of you cook, like cook really, really well? Yes. None of you? Never invite me over to your house for dinner. I don't want mac and cheese. What? Well, yeah. Say your wife cooks well, not you. Like, I'm not talking about mac and cheese. Like, I'm talking about good cooking, like with spices and flavor. Nobody in this place. Let's pretend like you know what I'm talking about. There's no good cook. That simply haphazardly goes to the spice rack or the seasoning and just grabs stuff and throws stuff on. You don't do that. You'll ruin it, right? What you do is you season it and you arrange it with thoughtfulness and purpose so that the full flavor bursts when you bite. Right? That gum, I'm hungry. So Paul's saying, choose wisely. Think about ahead of time because you're watching the world, your huddle for those people who are in transition under tension. So think purposefully. How am I going to share my story? How I, I'm got to be purposeful. I'm going to have thoughtful ways to tell the hope that I have. And it, all of this is done full of grace. So I'm still, I'm still putting this together. He says, full of grace and seasoned with what? Anybody remember? Salt. salt. He's not talking about sodium. That word salt, you know what? It literally means wit. It means be witty. That's literally what it means. With salt, it, it, it means interesting and engaging. Don't be boring about your faith is what Paul's saying. You tell your story, nobody should fall asleep. It means be engaging with it. Howard Hendricks said this, it's a sin to bore people with the Bible. <laughs> now listen, y'all know how to turn on the charm. You do. Every one of you who's married turned it on really well at least one time. <laughs> and all y'all not married, you're learning how to turn it on. What better thing to turn on the charm about and be engaged about than the greatest one of all, Christ? And that's exactly what Paul's saying here. Be thoughtful, be mindful, be witty, that, that your speech is full of grace. And he says, listen, it, when you put this, in, there's a reason why you put this into practice because of this. Because then you'll know 
what your answer should be. Whatever the issue is, so that you may know how to, literally so that you may be certain. Don't be surprised when the opportunity presents itself because God's orchestrated it. Just, kind of just share your hope and your story and make sure you do it with grace and interestingly, and then whatever your response, if your response to someone is full of grace and interesting, it's always the right response. If you try to have the right argument, you might be wrong. If you try to convince the right opinion, you're going to be wrong. But if you simply respond, whatever the issue is, full of grace and engaging, whatever it is, is going to be right. Does that make sense? See, if your words are purposeful and engaging with grace, you can be certain that your response is the correct one. Now think for a moment. How beautiful would the beauty of Christ become? And how real would his Christ followers appear if... When someone offends us, our speech is seasoned with grace and points to Christ. If, when someone posts something we disagree with, our response is full of grace and points to Christ. If, when we are hurt, our huddle sees us respond, seasoned with grace, pointing to Christ. See, when his people, when we start living life like this, perhaps our huddles will start believing in him. And the fragrance of Christ becomes so powerfully sweet. You want to know one reason why it's important for us to do this? Let me wrap it up with this. I've, I've talked about this before. Some of you forgot. Some of you hadn't heard this yet. That one, reason this is so, one reason this is so important. Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who inherit salvation? This asks a rhetorical question. What, 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 what the writer of Hebrews is saying is this, that there are some angels who the, their sole reason for being created by God is to help Christ followers who are in need on the earth. That, that's what he's saying. This is, the greatest, uh, this is the greatest text on angels that we have in the scripture in Hebrews 1. And Paul's and the writer of Hebrews is saying there are angels who, who their, their only creative purpose is to help and to serve those on, people on earth who are Christ followers. That's what he's saying. So if that's the case, wouldn't you want to know how you get an angel to move from heaven into your life on earth and do something for you? You know how you do that? It's not by prayer. Ain't no angel ever been created in heaven that's going to listen to you. Angels don't pay attention to us. They're not under our authority. The spiritual world functions under strict authority, lines of authority. And the only line of authority to an angel is Christ. And they do exactly what Christ says, exactly what the Father says. So, so, it, so it does no, it's, it, it's, it's, it's a work in futility to ever pray to an angel. That's ridiculous. They will only respond at the, at the behest of Christ. So how do you get an angel to move on your behalf? You look at what the Bible says. Jesus says, I tell you, whoever publicly acknowledges me before others, your huddle, proclaim the hope that you have. 
the Son of Man will acknowledge before the angels of God. You know how you get an angel activated in your life? You proclaim your faith publicly as you should, as Paul said, to your huddle. Now watch this. This this, this is what happens. This is how I think this goes down. We're on earth. And we've got needs. And we've got need God to intervene. And we cry out in our prayer time, God, you said, cast all my cares on you because you care for me. Seek you to find, not that it'll be open. Ask it'll be given. You said, don't worry about anything, but pray about it. God, I'm coming to you, and I need you to move, and I need you to act, and I need you to intervene, and I need you to do something. I am yours, and you are mine. Move your hand for me. And you got an angel in heaven whose job it is to serve those and help those who will inherit salvation. And your angel in heaven is going, I'm ready. Just send me. I got what he needs. Just let cut me loose. We'll get this thing taken care of. And Jesus is there saying, no, no, stand down. You know how many opportunities I've given him to proclaim his faith before his huddle? And all he's done has been tight-lipped about me. Stand down. You want to know why Paul had angels in and out his life that would open prison doors? That would heal him of deadly snake bites. That would rescue him on the open sea. Do you don't want to know why when he was left for dead, God raised him back? You want to know why? Because angels released at the command of God. Because says, God, just give me an opportunity to proclaim. And he was acknowledged before the angels of heaven. Get this? This is profound. And this is what God has stored up for those of us who are His. This is how intimately it is that He cares. And this is what He calls us into. And if you're a Christ follower this morning, this ought to light some inside you. And if you're not a Christ follower, this ought to at least make you a little bit more intrigued. Seek and you'll find. Ask, knock. He is not far from those who seek him. Won't you pray with me? Father, I thank you for everything you've done. For what you've done in, through, and by Christ. You are the great God. El Elyon, the most high and exalted one. Jesus, you are the great one. Emmanuel, God with us. You are greater. Father, pray for those of us who claim to know you. That we would pray for open doors to be watchful and mindful of opportunities. And we would find confidence in just telling our story for the reason, for the hope that we have. Get us away from arguments. Get us away from opinions. Just to talk about you.
Give us boldness. And the concentration to keep the main thing, the main thing, the greater thing, the greater thing. And Father, I pray for those here who don't, who haven't yet made up their minds, God, that at least you would be intriguing to them. That you'd cause something in their hearts to say, ha ha, this is different. I gotta find out more. And then Father, I pray that for those, whoever's huddled therein, that is your person, would speak words of grace into their life. That they choose to follow you. We love you, Jesus. We love you. In your name I pray, amen.